Welcome to the Michael Yu Podcast. We have a very special guest with us today, Steve Kim. Who, uh, Steve, why don't you share a little bit of your story? Well, I used to uh, be a former pastor, so now I'm in transition and I'm uh, running in a charity in Africa. It's called Global Joy Foundation. I'm also doing some uh, executive consulting and organizational consulting right now on the side. But my real passion is um, doing my charity work in Africa. So thank you, Michael, for being on the board oh, and yeah, giving me so, an opportunity to speak on this podcast. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, Steve, can you share a little bit about the charity and, and uh, what it's all about? Well, uh, it all started uh, about eight, eight years ago. I just uh, went to Africa with a friend, so e- East Africa, um, like Kenya and Uganda. And, uh, well, I fell in love with Africa the first moment I uh, I arrived. Um, well, the first day I arrived, I got robbed. So oh, wow. <laughs> I, I got, How did that work? I, I, I got go? a friend... Uh, I didn't want to use my own phone, so I, I, <laughs> I asked my friend to give me his phone, and then and I stuck my I stuck my hand out the window of, of our bus, and uh, some guy just tried to rip the phone off my hands, and mm-hmm. so we were like basically struggling, uh, me outside the window, and he, him just pulling my hand, and I mean pulling the phone and chopping up my hand. Good thing he didn't have a machete. That's what they told me. Good thing he didn't have a machete. He should have just let go of the phone. Wow. But. Uh, I don't know, that just, in a weird way, uh, like serendipitously, I just felt like uh, maybe I'm supposed to be here hmm. in some way. And so I just tried to, I went back every year. I work with a lot of leaders um, and somehow uh, working with the li- religious leaders and then got connected with politicians. Mm-hmm. Um, was on the U- U- Ugandan Broadcasting Corporation, a TV show, was viewed by 16 million people. Wow. So it's just, it's weird how all these things worked out. But it was, I think it all just started because I just fell in love with Africa and the people. I'm Asian. So yeah. I should fall in love with <laughs> the continent of Asia, but somehow uh, Africa has my heart. And uh, I've gotten a lot of access to uh just national leaders in Africa, and so we started a charity uh, that's an initiative to uh, develop young leaders for uh, for the future. So tell us a little bit more about Africa. What's the landscape? What's the what uh, what country are you kind of focusing on? And, and well, right now we're just primarily focused on Uganda. Uganda, and so that's the uh, the o- doors that have uh, opened up is primarily in Uganda. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Our charity works with uh, some Ugandan politicians right now, cabinet ministers. Uh, We also have a partnership with one of the kings. There's six kings in Uganda. Okay. So one of the kings is a great supporter of our charity. Professors um, and business people, obviously, and religious leaders. And so they we're just trying to instill in them uh, a desire to raise up younger younger people Mm -hmm. and mentor them in the areas of servant leadership. Like we we understand Uganda and Africa in general has unlimited resources to be self-sustaining, mm-hmm. but I don't want to go into all the history of colonialism and all that. But somehow um, there's this transactional, self-serving kind of leadership in the continent, where every man is just looking out for themselves. And so when leaders ascend, when people ascend into leadership positions and they have that mentality, and then then the I guess the little people do not get served. Mm-hmm. And, and so you can see that in, in the country. When you step into the country, every man is just looking out for themselves, just trying to get by every day. Um, and so aside from the abject poverty that's in Uganda and in Africa in general, we know that there's charities in North America uh, just flooding resources into Africa right, right. now. So I just felt like, well, we need to raise up leaders for the future. Mm -hmm. We need to put people with uh, just servant hearts uh, that desires to truly serve people in their inner core in positions of influence so that 40 years from now, 30 years from now, the the country could actually change Mm -hmm. and transform. 
So that's really a, like a philosophical change um, with the leadership that's that's in Uganda. Now, for for the average Ugandan, what's a day like? Is it like if you don't mind sharing with us because you've been there? Mm-hmm. Well, <laughs> it's hard to describe uh, Africa. You just really have to step into the country. Okay. But um, so we have staff in Uganda that we support, mm-hmm. and uh, an average salary for them, like a teacher, would get a hundred dollars a month. Hundred dollars a month. Canadian. Hundred dollars Canadian a month. Yeah, that would be equivalent to like two, three thousand dollars. Oh wow. Yeah. So, so we we support our. Uh, we have an executive director. We uh, budgeted for him to receive a five hundred dollar month salary, mm-hmm. and that's quite large. Wow. So, so so I all I'm trying to say is uh, like the I mean if U.S. dollar would be better. <laughs> but a Canadian dollar will go a long way in in Africa, uh, so you get a lot lot of bang for your buck. So it, like um, it has more impact, obviously. Yeah, absolutely. You have a lot more impact, um, and also the culture. Just recently, and when and when I first went, I used to meet some pastors or religious mm-hmm. leaders, and they would say, "Oh, I am pastor so and so, and I only have one wife," mm-hmm. and so I found that funny. Like, what do you mean you have one wife? Everyone have one, right. one wife. But I didn't know that culturally they took on many wives. Oh, wow. And so, even now, even in, in the yeah, 2000s? Yeah, many, many people still take on many wives. It's like a tribal culture. So <laughs> so I, I finally clued in after a couple of years. Oh, they're trying to tell me that they only have one wife. Mm-hmm. Uh, but other people, many people actually have, like, many wives. Wow. And they have 60, 70 children. Mm-hmm. So when you have 60, 70 children... You, possibly cannot you can't possibly take care of or care for that one like imagine you're the 60th child Jeez. and you're so basically you're essentially a de facto orphan mm-hmm. and you have no one to take care of you no one to like really care for you uh, other than provision of food but then that that's because of the poverty that the so everyone is just taking care of themselves mm-hmm. and so um what our foundation does is we're trying to get these leaders who are uh, in positions of authority or influence to give some time to these young people. Um, and you can see that they absolutely appreciate that. They, that's what they long for. It's, just, it's like water on desert soil. They, mm-hmm. they just hunger for it. They hunger for somebody to believe in them. Mm-hmm. And so that's one of the mandates of our foundation as well, is to, is to inject uh, some hope uh, and, and a, a belief that somebody cares for them. Mm-hmm. Um, Where do you think this tradition of like fatherlessness comes from or multi-wives come from? Is it from their uh, history or their ancient past? Or do you think it's brought on by... Like um, like historical colonial rule. Like if you can share the whole. I, like we have time in this podcast, so we. I love to hear about Uganda. Like the like what was some of the history of it? Why should we care about Uganda? Um, well, you sh- first of all, I, I don't really know why. They, I think it's just culture. Um, just many even in Asia, there's uh, having multiple wives, having a harem. It's just like a normalized thing. Um, mm-hmm. It's just. I think in recent history where people started just taking one wife, uh, Christianity being pre- uh, prevalent in in society, I guess, or religion, just having one wife it was the norm. But before that, ma- people had many wives. Uh, it's a sign of like status, I guess. But I think we sh- you should care about Africa <laughs> because um, according to the CIA World Factbook um, and from studies that have been done, in the next few years, um, half of all youth will be from Africa wow. in the world. So, like, think about that. Mm-hmm. Like, half of all young people in the world will be coming from Africa. And so, you have a whole half the, pop, let's just say, half the pop- population of young people in the world have no hope, or no future. And that's, you should care about that because that's going to affect your world. Mm-hmm. That's going to affect um, what's happening to you in Canada or in America uh, because they're just going to keep populating. Mm-hmm. And if you don't provide something for them or if you don't give them hope, um, they're not going to contribute to 
the world. Like mm -hmm. we live in a global culture. Uh, so the idea that we just live in Canada, we live in our Vancouver, in our posh Vancouver lifestyle, even though it costs arm and a leg to live here. Right. But we have it pretty good. Mm -hmm. But knowing that th we're just the top 3% of the world yeah. uh, should cause us, it, it should cause a pause in our lifestyle and really think about what's happening out there. And uh, I have children, my, my son's uh, 20 mm -hmm. and my daughter's 17. And I don't, I don't want to, I want to contribute to a world where they, it's better for them. Mm -hmm. And uh, because we're going to be more global, like we're going to, we're interacting with each other continuously, you know. So I think, I think it is important. It is important. And also, he, we're human beings. Mm -hmm. we're, we were created to exist together. And uh, this is a global community, and we should care about our brothers and sisters, even though they don't look like us, or uh, we should care. So. You know, I visited a lot of third world countries and it puts a lot of perspective on, you know, our society here in Canada and uh, or in the Western world and how lucky and fortunate we are to be, uh, you know, to actually just be born um, in, you know, in, in kind of a Western influenced civilization. I think, um, you know, giving the opportunity for education, giving the opportunity for like nutrition and food and water and shelter. And, and these are things that I think, um, a lot of us take for granted um, and uh, you know trying to affect change in a very um, on kind of a large scale on a very like a, a whole country scale with a whole like with generations of, of people now um, why is uh, like like what is Global Joy obviously trying to to um, to change uh, and, and grow uh, better leadership um, why do you think that that is the most important thing to, to affect change well, without mentioning the name of the country, you just look to our to a country that's very close to us. <laughs> and Antarctica. We, well, <laughs> no. well, we know that leadership matters. Yeah, it affects the globe. Mm -hmm. if, if, um, you know, uh, Uganda has a, a, a de facto kind of dictator using religion to propagate his presidency and. I don't want to go too far into that in case some Ugandans hear this, mm -hmm. <laughs> but um, he's been in power for over 30 years. Wow, one one president? Or? Yeah, and that's prevalent all over Africa. And so I know uh, politicians that go into villages and pay, uh, pay people to vote for them, and that's unethical when people mm -hmm. are so desperate. Mm -hmm. And so uh, you can see how Corrupt. c corruption could... Just become rampant and uh, making deals with other countries. Like, I know China has invested so much into the country, but we don't know what the side deals are and what, right. how they're indebted to them. Mm -hmm. So leadership matters. It, it affects people, mm -hmm. and your organization. You're the leader of this organization. What you do affects this. Affects this organization. If you're Elon Musk, he's a leader of Tesla. Now he said he tweeted something and stocks went down like 20%. Right. So leadership matters. And at the end of the day, for anyone who says leadership matters, it doesn't matter, it's fooling themselves. So we need to intentionally develop these young people, believe in them, uh, instill in them a servant, servant heart that, that cares more about serving than serving them, serving others than serving themselves. Mm -hmm. If we can put those people in into realms of influence uh, that can shape culture, like business, politics, education, religion, entertainment, uh, then it can shape, really shape culture. It can right. shape the values. And culture is just basically a climate where people uh, have a set of uh, expected behaviors that they adhere to. Right now, the expectations or the values in countries like Africa, I mean, countries like Uganda, are that people just look out for themselves, and that's normal. They just go steal a phone from a guy's hand, it's fine. Hmm. And just chop off a guy's arm because he has a Rolex on. That's, that's the culture. That's, hmm. It's expected. It's ex and people around, nobody helped me. People just 
watched that happen. It was in, it was in a traffic jam. That's why our bus was stopped. There was yeah. like, hundreds of people watching, but nobody came to, even yelled or said anything, mm-hmm. because it was just something that happens. It's just something. It's like everyday life. Everyday life. It's just they they need to survive. And in some ways, I didn't. I don't. I'm not mad. I just mm-hmm. understand that that's how they survive, but that's also a failure of. Uh, a governmental leadership mm-hmm. uh, of leadership of people in all sp- sectors that have influence mm-hmm. um, entertainers that just are self-serving or business people that just want to make just this the buck and do, don't give out to the poor or right. to help s- systemic change um, professors or educate educators that don't care about their kids and don't spend the time to mentor them mm-hmm. uh, so we're, we're talking about raising up a generation um, that can actually topple some of those leaders and then become the leaders that will change society. Mind you, we're also doing that right now. We have a leadership conference in Africa every year and we gather some of these politicians that do get it, some business people, uh, Mm -hmm. professors and and whatnot, and religious leaders, and we, we teach them about servant leadership mm-hmm. and they keep coming because somehow they get that this is what they're supposed to do right yeah so um, it is important yeah and when you think about how one or two leaders can even you know affect entire generations or entire countries you know there's so many different leaders like Abraham Lincoln and uh, Martin Luther King and a lot of um, you know a lot of people that have affected this this kind of earth-shaking change and a lot of them came from not not not, not a lot of place not a lot of uh, influence to begin with and I think you know by by seeding that education in, in in Uganda and in Africa it could it could have very very large impact so um, procedurally with global joy how are we and how how do we educate these people for uh, uh, to, to become better leaders like how does that work is it is it through scholarships like how do you um, well, I have affect change. So, uh, I've been going there for eight years. So um, every year I go, I uh, acquire relationships with uh, some of these leaders. And um, I'm an Asian and I'm a foreigner, so that gives me into a lot of <laughs> a lot of places. Right. Um, but also, I have a master's degree in the psychology of leadership, and so that credential allows me an audience of. Of people and a lot of it is like in anything real estate whatever is connections so it, it just so happened that by chance I, I met with some people that knew some people that knew some people and the next thing I know I'm in the I'm in the Uganda Parliament talking to the, some of these leaders mm-hmm. and then holding a conference and parliamentarians and cabinet ministers and professors are coming and business people are coming um, and I'm not saying that they all have servant leadership uh, maybe they're transactional. They want something from me, but I give them nothing. I don't give them any money. I don't give them anything, except uh, I guess a lunch for them to um, listen or come to the conference. Right. And so um, we we're developing them right now with the with the things that I've learned, things that are in my heart. Um, I'm also in the middle of writing a book on leadership. Mm-hmm. Um, I also send out material every month on servant leadership, just articles, and uh, so they read it and they and, and they wait for me to come back and and do more seminars or have discussions and dialogue about what this is. And so I'm not saying everyone is going to get it, but even if a few people get it, that's worth it. And and so that's how any anything. Uh, moves right that's mm-hmm. how a movement starts it's just a few people and and so we do have quite a few now so when we do go there's a, a lot of people coming to uh our events or our, our seminars and whatnot so can you define servant leadership please well servant leadership is at the end of the day was uh created by a guy named robert greenleaf and so he worked. Uh, he was in the in the business realm, and this, I think he worked for IBM. But servant leadership, defined by him, is an inner disposition in your inner core to serve another, to uh, not be motivated by uh, your personal ambitions or desires or. Uh, 
in your inner disposition. Something inside of you says, I want to make a difference in the world. Uh, whatever avenue, whatever vocation is basically in the Latin word for, uh, you can dissect it in this vox, means voice. Mm -hmm. Your vocation is your voice. Every job you have is just a platform to say something. So what are you saying in your job? And uh, I think servant leadership, for me, according to Robert Greenleaf, and for me, is that you're using your platform to uh, leave a legacy of service uh, to help your fellow man. And so, I mean, I, I know I sound like this holy man, <laughs> but I, I, nobody's perfect. I'm, I just, that's the ideal. We're all selfish at times, and we all forget, and I forget, and I, but I think, we think we're, we think about ourselves when we don't. We need this and we need that, and we get into the routine of daily lives and uh, raising our kids and trying to find a mortgage in in this in this environment, or it's trying to sell a house, get a job, whatnot, pay the bills. But I think servant leadership at the end of the day is the ideal. If everyone served somebody else, I mean the world will be such a better place. I think the world would prosper. I mean, and servant leadership is not um, pseudo-altruistic, meaning uh, you're not doing it so that you can get accolades. Mm -hmm. It's it's really a, about true humility where you don't need to get any recognition or whatnot. Uh, so anyone hearing out there, you know what, I'll... I'll take over this Global Joy Foundation and uh, I'll, I'll do a better job. I'm like I'm I'm a C I've been a CEO of nonprofits and I know how to do this job. I mean, you're more than welcome to do it. This is not about me. This is not about my name or, or whatnot. I'm be more than willing to uh, step aside because uh, this is about people and uh, helping people for the, for a generation. Absolutely. There's a uh, there's a book by um, Jim Collins called Good to Great. And one of the um, kind of it, it's a very, very fascinating book about uh, business and leadership and what kind of compels and attracts people to go from just a good to great. And what one of the principles he talks about is a level five leader. Yeah. And a level five leader. Um, have you have you read that book? Yeah. Steve? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So a level five leader. Uh, why don't you describe what a level five leader, leader is? Well, level five leaders, I, I guess at the end of the day, if I remember quite correctly, it's very similar to servant exactly, leadership. Exactly, yes. Yeah, just like the guy who, so the, like the Lee, I think he mentioned Lee Iacocca and those mm -hmm. guys who are very prominent are like not level five because the mm -hmm. level five leaders that that he specifies in the book are like really unknown. Right. And they're they're doing it for the company, for the organization. Mm -hmm. And so they're st they step back so that the, com and they do whatever it takes to make sure that the company prospers. Yeah, so um, there are quick charismatic leaders who can, in their lifetime, they can like bring a company to, to great heights, but it's very much based on that uh, individual leader and their, a lot of the times, their massive egos <laughs> uh, to, to feed into the, their egos and narcissism. And then there's this level five leader, which is, um, you know, that, like we talked about before, that servant leader that's really has a heart to serve um, the, the, you know, the people that are around him uh, and, and try to enrich their lives. And by doing so, it creates this, um, you know, this wonderful working environment where people want to help each other and they want to um, see each other succeed. Mm -hmm. And uh, there's no competition, but a lot of collaboration. And um, you really, it really builds a winning formula. Um, and you know we've we try to adopt, and I've learned so much from Steve. Uh, Steve and I have been friends for oh my gosh, a, quite a long time, and um, I've learned so much about leadership, life, um, and uh, purpose uh, from Steve. Maybe he used me as a guinea pig during his <laughs> during his <laughs> master uh, in 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 uh, in uh, psychology of leadership, right? Yeah. And yeah, so we you know we've. We try to adopt a lot of that at our company, if, if at all possible. And I don't think I would have learned it from a um, practical perspective if I hadn't uh, been able to engage with Steve. And that's why you know I asked Steve to come today to the pod to, to really talk a little bit about um, you know leadership and uh, affecting change and all the things that he's learned. So Steve, so if you were starting a company or you were um, starting a business, 
how would you want to be an effective leader to, let's say, a staff of three people? Well, I mean, it all depends on what the company is. But so you're selling houses. <laughs> <laughs> We're in uh, my messy like office Oakland. right now. Yeah, like Oakland. <laughs> before, it be, before it was Oakland. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I still remember when you were like throwing out those names. You chose the right one, Oakland. <laughs> I, I was a little bit hesitant about Oakland. Yeah. <laughs> it's perfect, man. Yeah, we. so Steve's been along the journey. Um, just even starting uh, the brokerage, I had many coffees with Steve just talking about like leadership, how am I going to do this thing. Um, he taught me a uh, very cool principle of teamwork, um, which I'll share a little bit later. It's uh, you know kind of uh, five key components of a team and, and how they all kind of function together. And so basically, we, we utilize that here at the company to try to create a strong foundation. But even during the whole process of starting a company, growing it from one person to now we have 300 um, agents wow. here um, and multiple offices. But, you know, we're still, you know, we're still on a journey. And, and I still think we're small. I still think we're, a, I still think we're a little family company, but we're, you know, we're working towards something big. So. Um, yeah, so let's hi- let's hypothetically say you're just starting a like a brokerage, or you're starting a like a resale business, or like a, with a couple people. What are the main aspects of leadership that you would focus on? Well, at the end of the day, uh, what I've learned in my lifetime, I mean, I'm only halfway there. I'm 47, so I got another half to live. Yeah, <laughs> but um, I've just been thrusted into leadership positions all my life, and the biggest mistakes I've ever made was thinking that I got. I have all the ideas, hmm. thinking that I know what I'm doing and people need to follow me. And that shows a lot of insecurity in uh, someone who's a leader. Because a real secure leader understands that they don't know everything. Ray Dalio, uh, his book, Principles, specifies that. I love this book. Uh, you just got to go in with your ideas and you got to bring people. If I had a staff, they would ideally be people who can shore up my weaknesses and do the things that uh, I can't do. Mm-hmm. And also in terms of uh, if we're going to be a broker company or whatever company, you want to be disruptive. You don't want to just do another thing. You don't want to create another McDonald's that looks exactly like McDonald's and call right. it DuckDonald's or whatever. <laughs> but I think for me, it would have to be disruptive. And for it, disruption to happen, you need innovation. And for innovation to happen, you need to bring together a team and go through the process of innovation of idea generation, problem identification. You need to go through the whole process. But you can't go through that process if the leader thinks they got the idea. Mm-hmm. And everyone follow me. <laughs> I got this idea, you guys work for me. And then you just become like, a, you just become a kind of like a dictator. Mm-hmm. And you just, people just working for you. But if you want collaboration, if you want shared leadership, if you want people to feel like they're part of something, um, that's a principle that you really need to employ. Uh, you need to bring in people uh, on all levels of the, of the organization. So if the company actually grew from three to like 10 to 20, I would make sure that the inno- I would create an in- innovation team that consists of top leaders, mid-managers, and lower-level employees to bring together an innovation team uh, and uh, facilitate that so that we're always coming up with disruptive ideas and and so organizationally, administratively, like uh, all that, you just hired the best people um, to make sure that your um, top leadership is handling all that, their C-suite or your, your senior managers. Uh, all that is not the hard part. The hard part is to create collaboration, which is really starts from the top. It, it's a climate where the leader actually uh, is open you know, you know, I've been into meetings. I've been to many meetings where the leader is, you know, has like an agenda. Mm-hmm. You've been to those meetings? Oh, of course. Yeah. Yeah, and then everyone's like, okay, nobody says anything because they're they're no, they know. Even if the leader's like, oh, I want to hear your ideas, but at the end of the day, they know. Uh, we just got to do what he says or she says, mm-hmm. right? And so, that just creates arduous work. People right. just doing their job nine to five. You want people to get excited about their job. Mm-hmm. They want people to feel like they contributed in some way, even if no, nobody is in that in that meeting, or uh, if it, even if not everyone is in that meeting, being represented by a few people 
in their departments or at their level uh, in an in a innovation meeting that uh, shapes the company, uh, creates goodwill and uh, a, a desire to work harder. So if I was giving you advice, if giving advice to Oakland, you probably do this ar already, but I would create an innovation team to mm. disrupt disrupt the real estate market and do it a different way. Mm. And that only comes through a real like facilitation of idea generation, idea conflict, conflict, managing conflict. When you're sharing ideas, people have really heated ideas, mm -hmm. but you gotta allow that. And people come up with really stupid ideas too. But you, you gotta allow that because the brilliant idea comes right after the stupid idea. Yeah, you know, that's uh, it, it's interesting because every so there's a book uh, called Shoe Dog uh, with uh, Phil. Uh, it's kind of the biography of uh, Phil Knight, the owner of Nike. Yeah, and um, he does this annual retreat with his uh, like even when they first got started when they were like two people. Uh, or three people, they would go, uh, they were three people, he would go to this annual retreat where they would go into the woods of Oregon, um, no phones, no TVs, and basically they would have these meetings where they talked about ideas, and they would, they you know, according to the book, they would basically just fiercely argue for like two days straight about, about these ideas and where the company was going and, and, um, and any new innovations that they wanted to make. Yeah. Um, and it was it was really like it was really open. I, th I thought it was really cool. Um, so when I read that book, I immediately like booked for our team to have one of these trips. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. To like go to we go to the island. We go to this place called Tainamera, and basically it's like I make a fire <laughs> and like I force everyone to like watch me make the fire. <laughs> we like go, we we talk around the fire. We go for drinks and we just like, there's only one restaurant or bar around there. And we just like lock ourselves in a room and just, you know, basically air out grievances. We talk about like innovations, things we want to change. And uh, it's really, um, it's just like, a, it, it's almost, it's probably one of my favorite parts of the year because, you know, mm -hmm. obviously you're with your friends, but at the same time you're, uh, you're, you're trying to, to like break bones and grow. Like it's almost like surgery. Right. <laughs> and, uh, you know, Anyone that has any emotion would feel like, oh, like sometimes you feel like very hurt by things. But yeah, it's, it's, it's a really great program for sure. So like having that innovation um, and to, to, to disrupt is, is, is really, um, yeah, I think is, is going to be a difference maker for sure, especially in this new uh, business landscape um, that incorporates technology and, and all the rest. So that's pretty, it's pretty exciting. Well, shared leadership is it's, uh, not just the next big thing but it is it is the thing you, you can't possibly uh, in our in our society think that you got it all or do everything by yourself or you're the leader so follow me mm -hmm. I think um, I, I would adopt the shared leadership model to make sure that everyone has uh, their place or everyone is functioning like it's just weld oil, oil machine and and that comes with a lot of coaching too, because some people are in their in jobs that they're not very skilled at, mm. um, or they've managed to get to a certain level, but they can't press through to excellence. Uh, so that's it. Doesn't mean that you get rid of them. You have to re you have to reposition them so that they actually function according to their gift sets mm -hmm. or how they're designed. And so uh, that comes with the. So as a leader, that would be also as an executive, that would be one of the main jobs as well, um, is to uh, coach, to make sure that they're they're really fulfilling their. In psychologists called flow, they're they're mm -hmm. in their flow, yeah. they're in their groove, and they're challenged, but yet uh, fulfilled and uh, stimulated to work harder and develop their skills. So as a leader, how do you recognize when someone's in the wrong position? For me, just through my experience, um, well, number one is attitude. You could tell that they're just putting in, they're clocking in, clocking out. And so their job, uh, their job performance actually could be pretty good. And they're doing the job that you asked them to do. Mm -hmm. But they're not, they're not reaching a level of excellence. Um, that you want without probing or without leveraging them, without, <laughs> without 
coercing them with rewards and bonuses. And um, if you see people uh, giving that extra effort and excelling, uh, then you know, oh, they're in their sweet spot. Yeah. There's something that they're doing that really they're doing it because they love to do this and they're uh, excellent. So, for example, you're in your sweet spot. You're doing well and you're doing what you're supposed to do. I'm not saying you're, you're destined to be a real estate mogul for the rest of your life, but you're, you're an entrepreneur. This is your sweet, sweet spot. You like instigating new things. And you have all the every time I talk to you, you got all these crazy ideas, but they're not crazy. They could actually possibly happen, right? Some of them happen, <laughs> some of them fall flat on their face. But yeah, I think, but you're an yeah. you're an idea guy, so that's uh, so you're so when people are just excited about doing their job, you you know that they're well, people are not, people are just doing their job to uh, a certain level, and but then. You're always trying to push them to coach them, and you're trying to get them to do better or do more mm -hmm. or whatnot, and put in that extra time or um, or that extra effort. You know, you just could see excellence, right? But um, but they're not. It doesn't mean that you just tell them, "Oh, you're fired" or you, "You're demoted." It, it, actually, you need to coach them because they might have other skills, yeah, other things that they may be they may con that might contribute to your organization to. Uh, and they might excel in that, mm -hmm. and that's your job to figure that out. Sometimes people have life issues. People have problems in their uh, personal life, and there's ups and downs, and there's uh, highs and lows, and and whatnot. We all understand that. Uh, but I'm talking about a prevalent, persistent kind of attitude mm -hmm. uh, that you need to recognize and just kind of work with, and and whatnot. And so. Obviously, people are underperforming and they're just not doing their job. And you know that they, you can maybe cut ties with those people. I'm just talking about people who are just at that mid-level, cruising, doing their job, performing. But you want them to reach higher levels. Um, you just have to ask them why. What's happening? Do you like your job? Mm -hmm. do, what do you like about it? And so I always ask them, what do you like about your job? Yeah. Because it's not the job. Your job is just the platform. What, is like, what are they trying to really say? What is inside of them? Mm -hmm. What is, what do they like to do? Yeah, some people like to punch in numbers. Like I know accountants who love to put in numbers. Yeah, but I nothing against accountants, but man, <laughs> I don't I don't want to spend my life. I would put, I'm Asian. I'm pretty good at math, <laughs> but I don't want to spend my life putting in numbers. But right. some people love that. Right. Right. So if they love that, go ahead. But some people became accountants because their mom and dad told them to become accountants, yeah. and so. If you're 25 out there and you're 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 going for your CPA and you don't like doing that, uh, around 10 years from now you're gonna have a crisis. Yeah, you're gonna have so many jobs. You're gonna have a house. You're gonna have a car. You're gonna have kids, and then you're gonna be stuck. You're not gonna be able to get out of your job because you have, you're indebted to society or you're indebted to the world to the man. <laughs> and and but you're t it's too late. So it's better for you all the young people out there listening, it's better for you to figure it out. Be brave. Figure out what you're good at, what what you're supposed to do, and uh, explore that. And you do that, and you'll, you'll get noticed. You'll have a bigger platform. Yeah, they call um, in some, I think it might be cliche, but they call it the golden handcuffs. You know, you... Like I, I know super high powered lawyers. They're you know they have the beautiful house, the, the family, the kids, and they're like I walked like I basically have to take antidepressants every day to go to, <laughs> to go to work because it's so it's just sad, and uh, but you're kind of feeling stuck. So I think making those choices early on is gonna help you. But I, I think that it's never too late. You know, um, depends. Like you set a standard of living and. I always think about things whenever I make a decision. I always think of what is the worst thing that could happen if I made this decision. If I quit everything right now and I like immediately fired Jill. And I'm just kidding. I'm just showing you. Um, Jill's just behind me. I'm just, she's like doing actual work. And, and I'm just kidding. I would, I, if she ever left, I would, I would like chase her. To the ends of the earth, I'd be on her doorstep begging, like on my hands and knees. Well, she she heard that I was a, I'm a witness. <laughs> I would. She's amazing. Jill's like the that. Anyways, we're I'm very very fortunate. I have a really great team. But um, yeah, like what's the worst that could ever happen? Could you could you live with it, or could you change your standard of living to to have like change your standard of living for the next few years to have something else 
for the last 30 years of your life. And I, I'm a huge proponent of, of making those decisions. Uh, and I don't like feeling comfortable. I, I actually hate feeling comfortable. Mm -hmm. So I, I like the, you know, I like the, it was interesting. I was talking to someone today about like, um, you know, we're kind of like, I, I was like, well, how would you to like describe yourself? Just like the, the spiritual you or the you just like not, like some people describe themselves biologically, like, oh, I'm like, I'm an athlete, I'm a like boxer, or I'm a like, and I thought about, and then, so, you know, what do you identify with? How do you identify yourself? So Steve, how do you identify yourself? That's a, that's a good question. I like the golden handcuffs, I like that. <laughs> I'm gonna use that. Yeah. That's a good one. Um, and to your point uh, about changing trajectory of your life. I mean, that's one of the reasons I, I got a master's at age of 47. <laughs> it was just was one of the hardest things I did. Yeah. You don't like, I don't like school. So yeah, you look pretty dumb, so. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Wow. <laughs> I'm just joking. Wow, wow, wow. <laughs> I'm just kidding. He's like a big buff guy, so I always think jocks look like. <laughs> I'm just kidding. So, um, I identify myself as a first a husband. Mm -hmm. And that's my number one job in life, to be the best husband. I've been married to my uh, college sweetheart, who I met first week of university at the age of 18. Yep. We got married at 22, so uh, 24 years of marriage, she's, uh, she's the one, right? And so we got to work on it. There's ups and downs in marriage, definitely. Um, that... Secondly, I'm a father. These are my jobs. I don't get paid for it, but these are the things that I will be accountable for when I die. Um, I, you know, when I, I've been to a lot of funerals, um, and it's sad when the when the wife and the kids cannot say anything really nice about the husband or father, and that's sad. But I've been I've been to those, and all they can say is like, uh, oh, he he got this degree, he worked hard. He made a lot of money for us. He worked hard. I go, I don't want my kids and my wife to say that about me. Mm -hmm. I want them to be able to say that um, I love them, I care for them, and that um, I was not only their father, I was their friend, that I was my wife's best friend. And so, and uh, that's, that you got to work on that. That's your number one job. So that some, somebody asked me, how do I identify myself? Husband and father. And this, thirdly, uh, I'm a leader, so all my life, whether I was playing sports or, or high school or in, in university or clubs, or I've always been selected to ascend into leadership positions. Um, so in, even in my job, I'm all, um, uh, I've just been thrusted into positions like that. I track, uh, I, I have relationships with other leaders. It's just something that I do. Um, so I'm a nonprofit executive. And, Lastly, I just like to. I like to help people, <laughs> mm -hmm. so I, I like to help people that need help in terms of in, in life or in their leadership or in their organization. So that's why it's just I, I was doing that already. So I just made it legit and started a business. Mm -hmm. um, and lastly, I just I found I find that I I. I'm, I think I'm the, like the worst writer, <laughs> and uh, so many. I mean, I'm an immigrant, so right. <laughs> so just being, I hated English. Just writing mm -hmm. essays and so, you know, in grad school writing, writing. We just hated that. But uh, I just finished the book. Just oh, fin fantastic! Yeah, just finishing. I, I have to publish it, but I'm just in the last pre stages of editing. Uh, I found that I, 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 start, I started to enjoy writing mm. and uh, just sharing my thoughts out there. So I would say lastly, just on the side, maybe like a hobby, a writer. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's, that's what describes me right now. You know, I think um, a lot of us, you know, live kind of on the surface. You know, we, we're checking our Instagram all the time. We're just kind of like walking through the earth. We wake up, we go to sleep and 
you know, and really having those some introspection, I think is, is really cool. And what I really loved about, you know, and love about hanging out with Steve is like, he's a very introspective guy. He's, have you always been that way? Or have you, uh, no, man. Like, have you developed? <laughs> <laughs> when I was a kid, I, all I did was play sports. Yeah. Study, play sports, chase after girls. <laughs> Until I met the girl in university, yeah. but uh, yeah, I, I just want—I want—I actually wanted to be a lawyer, so studied real hard to write my LSATs, go to law school, and I got, things changed. I went to uh, seminary instead, and mm-hmm. then my life took on a whole another trajectory after that. Uh, but introspection, maybe when I was a kid, I used to look in the mirror and like wonder why I look like this. <laughs> I don't know if kids think that, but I, I look in the mirror and I'm like, why am I Asian? Yeah. Why am I Korean? <laughs> and why am I here? Why mm-hmm. am I here in this, like, in this time period mm-hmm. of like existence? Um, so I, I, I used to have a lot of philosophical questions, even like like a young age. But then you forget, like, because you want to play sports and <laughs> right, chase yeah. after girls for sure and do all the stuff that normal people do but I think as I got older and as I still get older I, I, I start to I guess it's like wisdom of life going through failures ups and downs of life I believe actually that people should embrace failures mm-hmm. failure is a gift it's a gift to you to uh, you're just totally wasting your failure opportunities if you don't have awareness like learn from it grow because that's an opportunity for you go to the next place and become a better person you know so i failed a lot yeah so what was your biggest failure and, and what'd you learn from it i would say my biggest failure uh just not taking care of people under me as well as i should have in my previous organization and um i think i did the best i can but i think not caring for them as i should have probably caused probably some schisms and and um, just having people under uh, just one particular person that I care for and just kind of mentored um, stabbing me in the back but at the end of the day you can't blame everything on one person I think at the end of the day you have to take some ownership and responsibility and um, and I think that's where a lot of my principles of servant leadership or caring for others or shared leadership models um, have come into play where I, I began to realize, yeah, the guy who stabbed me in the back was a jerk. <laughs> He's a jackass, but I think, you know, uh, but I, I think even if there was 10% failure on my part, I got to own that. Um, I think true leaders say sorry and they own it and so I think I probably could have treated him a little bit better I could have I got it uh, and everybody gets into their own like lane and then just kind of forgets and and tries to do you know ambition and all that comes into play but I think I think one of my biggest principles, what I've learned is that at the end of the day, leadership is all about people. Mm-hmm. And it's not an organization unless there's people in it. And it's it's an organism. There's people involved and there's feelings involved. There's uh, life issues involved. And I think a good leader will recognize that and not only get the task achieved, but also have consideration for people. And I think uh, having somebody that I care for or that I raised up or mentored uh, betray me was probably my biggest failure. People would say it's his biggest failure to do that. But at the uh, for me, um, it's taken some time to re- recoup. But um, at the end of the day, I don't want it to just to be a blip in my life. I want to learn from it. Mm-hmm. I want to know what I could have done better. And so uh, just going to school, uh, learning. Um, my final thesis or project I did was all about it, me. It was a mea culpa of uh, my failed leadership in those areas. And so uh, 
So that's my, my, my final, I think one of my final chapters in my book is failure mm-hmm. is a gift, and I write about that. Having that objectivity, because some people take those failures and they ingrain it in as a part of their identity. Um, and I had a friend growing up, uh, and his father lost it. Like, he, was, he had a business, and he lost the business. And he never recovered. So mm-hmm. they, he never recovered. He always felt less of a man. He basically was at home always down in the dumps he i remember going over to his house and like i was like and my friend was embarrassed to show us his dad because his dad never showered because he was just so like Mm. he was just so distraught about the loss of his business and it was really um you know it was i i think having that objectivity and the ability to reflect and to use him as uh, tools uh, to, to move forward and, and do other things is a real, um, uh, you know, smart way of, of, of moving forward with, um, mm-hmm. with, with events that happen to you. Some of them are obviously directly are uh, the result of our um, poor behavior, poor actions, or sometimes they're not, but really understanding that uh, at a high level is, is something that's really good. And so how did you, did you do that? Did you do that reflection on your own? Did you do that with your spouse? Like, who do you go to as a sounding board, as like, as the the racquetball wall? Well, number one, I'm a, I'm a Christian, so be, at the end of the day, I go to God, mm-hmm. and I I have try to examine my soul or my heart. Um, every leader, for me, every person should just be brutally honest with yourself, and then I think. Uh, Justifying your actions is just you're trying to cover up something. Right. So um, you can do that on your own. You don't have to tell anybody. Just meditate. Just go and think about it. I also went to, uh, my wife and I went to counselors because it was a devastating thing that happened to us. So Mm -hmm. um, feeling betrayed or being stabbed is a big, big pain, especially for somebody that you've known for like 15 years Um, and invested so much into. I think. Um, so we went to professional counselors too. I think that's your brain is an organ, and so if your stomach was in pain, you would take medicine. Right. If your brain is hurting, you need to go see a doctor. And so we went to professional counselors, and then um, and then when we're ready, we all we obviously shared it. I have mentors. Mm-hmm. I have coaches myself, and then I talk to them, and they help me. Uh, process things out. So mm-hmm. it's a lot of things. I'm I'm really good at helping others, but even though I think I know what's wrong, uh, it's really good to have a secondary voice that you respect to yeah. tell you, to really straight up tell you there's something that you're not seeing. You're, everyone has blind spots. So, and then then you just talk to your wife mm-hmm. continuously, and then you make sure that's going well because. Uh, no matter what's happening, you got to keep your family intact and make sure that, uh, you know, you're not spewing all your anxieties and worries onto your family and yeah. creating a, a kind of a toxic environment for them. Mm-hmm. So speaking of mentors, um, that's a real buzzword right now with the entrepreneurial community, mm-hmm. having a mentor. I need a mentor. I need somebody. So, um, you know, just in your up, you know, in your upbringing in, uh, you know, Going through seminary, going through uh, starting a nonprofit, um, going through school. Um, share with us your relationship with mentors and how important they were to you, and how like even frequency. Yeah. Well, I think when you're in your twenties, uh, you need a mentor, and I say that very, very, very like. But it's the guy, it's the people in the twenties that don't think they need a mentor. They're just <laughs> starting, but really, you don't really know a lot about life yet. Uh, you have skills, and then so you need somebody to really uh, shape you, um, shape your values. So I, um, when I was 20, I had a mentor uh, in grad school that took me under his wing and spent enormous amount of time with him, um, just talking, breakfast, lunch, dinner. We're in school. He was doing his doctorate. So mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> we're both students. Just We had a whole bunch of time. Right. Um, just talking, talking, and dinners, and conferences, retreats, trips. That's um, awesome. And so that was a good four years of just a uh, critical period in my life that he, he instilled so, many, so much values in me uh, that still last to this day. And then when I was 
Uh, you also need mentors that help you open doors. So after that, I had a mentor in Vancouver. Uh, I didn't meet him quite as much, but he opened doors for me mm -hmm. to progress to the next stage. Uh, you need some pe people to believe in you, to have give you access. And then I also have mentors uh, in the United States that gave me uh, open doors. And that's how I got to go to Africa, mm -hmm. Asia. Uh, I've traveled quite a bit, actually, to South America. It's because they provided open doors for me. Uh, and believe in me and so with these mentors obviously you're busy as you get older you don't have much time but uh, I would make sure that I would go on uh, international trips with them and mm -hmm. spend uh, just quality time or or call on the phone or email and then now I I do have a personal coach as well mm -hmm. so even though I'm a coach I need a coach <laughs> <laughs> I need a coach to coach me to yeah. be a better coach <laughs> so um, I call him and then so obviously that's for a fee Mm -hmm. uh, but he's a friend of mine as well. So I uh, I do that once every month or every two months or every three months whenever I feel like I need that. Mm -hmm. and, and so as you get older, you the, uh, the, there's, there's different levels of mentor. You also have book mentors. You don't need to meet them personally. Right. You read books and then they're, they're mentoring you. They're shaping your values and mm -hmm. ideas, right? Uh, but a true mentor is not a mentor unless they challenge you. Mm-hmm. I mean, confrontation is a hallmark of love. If you don't, if you, if when you tolerate somebody, it's you're just loving yourself because you don't mm -hmm. want to get involved in your friend's life, right? Because it's going to get messy. But if you really love somebody and they're doing something that's harming them, you confront them, yeah, lovingly, of course. But you, you got to have the, you got to have the bravery or the courage to be able to say, hey, you know, Michael, there's something wrong. And uh, you might hate me for a while, right? But uh, I need to tell you this, and that's a true what mentor. Because <laughs> I do a lot of things. You wrong. want me to tell you over podcast? <laughs> yeah, I don't care. You want me to tell everybody I what's, know. what's wrong with you? No, man. <laughs> so uh, yeah, it's just uh, it's good. I, I I don't like it when people my mentors do that to me, but I love it. Mm -hmm. So you can not like something, but you can love it. Yeah, I don't like. I, I don't like working out, but I love it because of what it does for me. Yeah. Um, I like I don't like when my mentors challenge me and call out my blind spots. Mm -hmm. uh, but I love it because of what it does for me. And if I have the humility to learn from that, I grow exponentially. Mm -hmm. I don't want to. <laughs> I don't I don't want to take years to learn something. Mm -hmm. I want to do it fast. Yeah. Uh, somebody sure. tells me something. If it's true, I'm gonna I'm gonna meditate on it. And yeah, it's true. I'm going to fix it. Mm -hmm. Like, what's the point of this is wasting time? Yeah, that's a question I've been asking a lot of people lately. I, you know, I ask them, like, what could I have done better? What did I do wrong? So a lot of people, it's really cool. Like this whole podcast experience, I'm really like I'm deeply, deeply enjoying it from like really from the bottom of my heart. I really f like uh, when we talked about identity, I always I think of myself a little bit of a sleuth, like kind of mm -hmm. like. Watson or Sherlock Holmes or something like that. I really like to figure things out, and I love to just get in someone's um, psyche and their uh, and just really try to understand them a little bit better. And I find it really interesting. And I've heard a lot of people, uh, you know, I've gotten a lot of text messages. Hey, I really enjoyed that podcast. It was really cool. I learned some stuff about this. And I've always like in in every aspect of life, not just in this. I always ask. Even I go work out at a gym. Said, well, how's my, my what sucks about my form? Like like what sucks about the form <laughs> of this? Because I I and he's like, no, it's good. I'm like, no, what can I do better? Like I want to know how I can be better. And so even talking about this podcast, how can I be better? And um, it just I, I really want to know the truth of, of how to you know um, of how to just get better at, at things and and to um, to be able to affect more positive change and, 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 and help more people whatever it is yeah. so I think it's really a you know it's really important to have that objectivity and to, to know about yourself and to know that uh, you know life's a journey and, and you know you're always it's always evolving and always improving so it's, it's really great so um, you know Steve's been a really great mentor to me over the last uh, oh my gosh like maybe seven eight six seven eight years um, that I've known him uh, he's taught me a tremendous amount about um, friendship, leadership, values, and really has challenged me in a lot of really great ways. And I, I hope that everyone has like a Steve or Steve-like person in their life where 
it's, it acts as a really great, um, and we don't meet all the time. Like maybe we'll meet once or twice or three times a year or something like that. Not, <laughs> not a whole lot, but I, I really try to extract the most of, of what I can from these, um, from these engagements. And I try to learn as much as I can from him. And, uh, yeah, he's just helped me with, you know, helping to formulate the company and put it into the right position to hopefully be, uh, successful and, um, yeah, just in my relationships as well. And to, uh, you know, have a life with some values and some rules that I could uh, really um, uh, absorb and feel really like happy every day that I get to live this life. So, a lot of a lot of good stuff for sure. So, you know, we're talking about mentorship because it's such a huge thing with entrepreneurs now. They they talk about it a lot, and I think sometimes uh, people go a little bit overboard though with the mentorship thing. I don't know. Have you ever felt that? Um. No, I haven't really. Oh, okay. Because Global Joy Foundation is all about mentorship. <laughs> there you go. So spinning it back, that's perfect. Yeah, because I mentor a lot of realtors and things like that, and I love mentoring the realtors. Um, I think there's a difference between mentorship and just, like, having a boss. So, like, you know, if, if you, you, you should ask questions that, you know, that are going to help to improve you for the long term, not like, hey, um, should I cross the street right now? Like, <laughs> type yeah. of thing in a, in a lot of cases. But I do really enjoy it. So, um, you know, when we talk about global joy and we talk about the impact and effect, in an ideal world, five years from now, where is global joy? Where is Steve? Um, five years from now, I would think that um, we would have mentors in Uganda, like... Uh, in all s sectors of society that uh, have potential for influence in the government and business, uh, in the education sector, um, in the religious sector, entertainment sector. And so uh, we're working on that right now. We have, uh, if you go to our website, globaljoyfoundation.com, you can see the profiles of the leaders. We even acquired a appeals court judge as one of our mentors. And so... Um, we're just acquiring more mentors and we're teaching them about servant leadership. And then we're asking them to mentor people on their own time, on their own dime. We're not paying them anything. So um, they take the time to mentor these young people. And uh, we're asking the people in North America to, um, as we identify these key mentees that have potential for real growth and they get it, we want to provide uh, some opportunities, uh, some resources through uh, scholarships to go to school, to go to grad school. We mm -hmm. already have people that are waiting to go to law school, but they can't afford it. They're from the villages, uh, but they they show high aptitude and high potential for service because we want these people to ascend and to get into uh, positions of influence. Um, one of our me mentors was an orphan, and he got sponsored by one of the village uh, leaders mm -hmm. to go to school. And then he maximized that and became uh, went to law school. He became a lawyer. Now he has his own practice, and he's also uh, a minister of government. Mm -hmm. And he does two jobs. And then he gets paid about ninety thousand dollars in Uganda, U.S. That's a lot of money. Mm -hmm. uh, but he gives it all away to his village. Wow! So, I think when we told him about this concept, he said he started crying over dinner. He said, "This is exactly." what Uganda needs mm -hmm. and so he's fully fully invested into Fantastic. our foundation and uh, hopefully we can bring him to Canada and to speak uh, and talk about his story he actually went to the we entered the village and he showed me the, his little hut that he built for himself mm -hmm. when he was a kid that he lived on and uh, he just kind of scraped food from the villagers or for his grandmother or whatnot and so uh, yeah but mentorship is a whole different beast than coaching. <laughs> coaching is uh, you're just trying to help them and uh, not rock the boat so much. And mm -hmm. I do coaching too, but um, I think mentorship is a whole different beast because mm -hmm. you're, you're shaping somebody's values. You're trying to instill in them a certain mindset or a worldview uh, that cannot be, uh, they cannot be infused into their hearts or in their, in their brains. Mm -hmm. Uh, in their value systems overnight. It takes uh, just the longevity of relationships. So mentorship is takes a longer longer time because there's different kinds of leaders, right? There's there's coercive leaders, there's manipulative leaders, and there's uh, leaders just because they have positions, because their daddy 
or their mom gave them the position or or whatnot but at the end of the day uh, you want to be a referent leader a person of reference that people look up to and say I want to be like that and so that's a mentor so there's difference between coaching and mentor I think people get that mixed up because they want to people who want coaching is just to uh, give uh, give them options or how to do their lives better or live better or trying to figure out what's what's going on and it's also it's just really in their in their control to go deeper uh, it's really up to them but mentorship is a whole different beast so I would distinguish those two things and I think on that note um, you know I would love to be able to to talk about uh, global joy so it's globaljoyfoundation.com and there's uh, where you can learn more about the global joy foundation and all the great work they're doing in Uganda and Africa there's also a little section where you can donate so if you'd like to donate to the cause and, and help effect positive change in Uganda with uh, servant leadership and mentorship programs um, and scholarships uh, to Africa, uh, you can feel free to do so by visiting globaljoyfoundation.com. Steve, thank you so much for being a part of the podcast. I really appreciate your time today. And uh, Thanks, man. Yeah, appreciate it. Great. Thank you.